Well, good evening. Thanks for having us. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys tonight. And uh, Mitch has uh, become a, a good friend of ours now, just as somebody that we can kind of rely upon uh, and lean on uh, for experience. Uh, when I've got something to complain about with uh, Reach Chicago, I can go to a brother who's been through it. No, I'm just kidding. There's really no complaints. Um, this has really been a great experience uh, for us uh, and um, just how the Lord has just kind of led us to partner with the EFCA and Reach Chicago and plant the church in Lake Zurich is a story I'll have to share for another time. But um, it's just really been a privilege just to be a part of this process. Um, our team, we do have members of our team here tonight um, that are coming to join us. Um, our team is uh, slowly growing, and we're thankful for that. Uh, the Lord has led us to Lake Zurich. Uh, it's a great community. It kind of feels almost like home again. Um, my wife and I, uh, my wife Mary, who just went next door to drop our kids off, um, her and I, after getting married, uh, we met in Crystal Lake uh, at a church out there. And we ended up, uh, when we, shortly after we got married, uh, we helped plant a church in Gurney, but lived in uh, Palatine. And uh, I was working downtown in Chicago. Um, and so we were all over uh, the Chicagoland area. And, uh, but I grew up in Cary. And, um, and so when we finally, after having moved up to Grays Lake, started a family in Grays Lake, we've been there for the last six years, we ended up moving down to Lake Zurich to plant this church. And it starts to feel like a little bit closer to home again for us. So... We're grateful for that, and um, uh, and just grateful for this experience that we're part of. So, yeah, so we are planting Restoration Church, as the what we're our church is called, Restoration Church, where our mission is to restore lives or communities in the world through the transformational power of the gospel. And really, I don't think it's any different than what you guys are doing here at Good News Church, and uh, what the Lord is building in your midst. Either um, just again, thanks, Mitch, just for having us, and it's a privilege just to be able to. Give up your pul pulpit for the week and allow us just to be here uh, to uh, just to bring the word. Um, you know, last week uh, we were rudely interrupted on Valentine's Day. Um, that was uh, already back on February 14th. Um, we're still talking about it today, um, and that is the school shooting that happened in South Florida. And uh, I know it's not quite making the news headlines as much as it was um, even to the end of last week, but it is still fresh in our minds, and we're reminded of just, again, just the, the horrors, reminded of the evil that exists in this world, um, and uh, it just, what yet again, reminded of just a devastating tragedy that occurs in our midst, and, you know, it's sad to see a community is hurting. Now, there's a community right now in South Florida that is just hurting, and as of this weekend, they're just finally burying their dead. Um, their loved ones. They sent their kids to school. The teacher went to school, uh, just assuming any other day they're going to just come back home again. And that day they did not come back. And um, reminded again of sin that exists in this world and evil um, that is rampant. And now we have this community that is hurting, and once again also uh, a state that is hurting, and then also a nation that is hurting. And asking the questions, why? Why did this have to occur? Why, why is this, this sin and this evil even exist? Um, but you know what? It doesn't just end there. It's not just a mass shooting in, in a school. Um, you have families that live on your block that are in crisis. Your neighbors are hurting uh, from a tragedy maybe that they just experienced or a diagnosis that they were not expecting or a broken family or members of the family that are now no longer speaking to each other. They're in crisis right now. Um, and also we look across the world, and we even see from war-torn Syria 
a refugee crisis that is still um, running rampant, a, a refugee crisis that is at biblical proportions, literally. People, children, men, women, dying every day trying to escape war, giving it a lip, just trying to get across to a place of safety, and when they finally do, they have no place to stay, for no one will even take them in. The world is hurting, our communities are hurting, lives are hurting. And what's amazing is that the world is asking questions. If you are, any of you are on Facebook or you're watching the news, it's not hard to find out what they're asking. They're asking two important questions. First of all, when will it end? When will it end? And the second question they're asking is, when will it stop? Or who, more importantly, will make it stop? When will it end and who will make it stop? They're asking for a savior. They're asking for answers. They're asking for relief from this because they know intuitively, and we know as well, that this is not the way (coughs) in which it was meant to be. The world is having this existential spiritual crisis before our eyes, and yet here we are together, gathered together in this room as the church. And here we are, we have the answer, we have the solution. And we hold the keys to the kingdom, and that is found in Jesus Christ. And my question for us tonight is this. Will we, the church, rise to the moment? Will we rise? And will we answer their calls? If you don't mind, I'd like to pray for us, and then we'll dive into this, uh, this evening's lesson. Heavenly Father, we call upon your name again tonight. And we ask for the presence of your spirit that is with us now and alive within us, those who confess you as our Lord and as our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we we pray because we're going to, we ask to seek you, Father. May we discover more about you tonight. May we hear from you, Lord, through your word. We pray, Father, that you would humble our hearts Cause us to reflect upon your word and to be present with your spirit and to hear directly from you, Lord, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's open up to Acts uh, chapter 1 in the New Testament. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1. Mitch just read our text, or uh, we're just going to look at a portion of this tonight. Acts 1, verses 6 through 8. I'd invite you to turn there in your Bibles. Uh, after your four Gospels, you come into the book of Acts, and um, as you're turning there, I have no surprises. Um, I have one main point that I wish to get across tonight, and that is this. Your kingdom mandate is to share Jesus with the world. That's our point for tonight, our big idea. Your kingdom mandate is to share Jesus with the world, and I believe that our text is going to share that and show us this very clearly tonight. Let's begin in Acts 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now the context for this passage 
is that we have Jesus meeting with his 11 remaining apostles, his closest disciples. And he's meeting with them uh, on the Mount of Olives. So this is literally moments before he ascends into heaven to sit at the Father's right hand. And he's meeting with his disciples, and, and he had been, after his resurrection from the dead, he had already been meeting with them for 40 days, speaking to them, talking to them, continuing to teach them as he had been in his regular earthly ministry before his death on the cross. And now here he is ministering and meeting with his disciples, and he had been talking to them again, once again, about the kingdom of God, the coming kingdom, the kingdom that is upon them. And, and of course, the apostles here now are asking them, we're asking him in verse 6, so when they, meaning the apostles and Jesus, had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, that's a very important question and it's something we need to dissect here just for a quick moment to understand the context for what Jesus says afterwards. This is not a question out of left field. This is not, this is not some random question that the apostles are asking because as we already stated, Jesus had been speaking about the kingdom of God. And as so, they're asking him, is this the time which you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this the time in which the fulfillment, the promise that was given to Abraham, is finally going to be fulfilled? Because clearly you're the Messiah. Clearly the ministry that you have been teaching us and, and leading us through shows us that you're the Messiah. You went to the cross for our sins and you died and you were buried for three days and then you rose from the dead as if we needed anything else to prove your deity and your messiahship. Clearly, you are the victor. Clearly, you are the messiah that we have been promised. Clearly, you are the one who will lead us into battle. Clearly, you are the one who will restore the kingdom, push out the Romans, and bring eternal peace and justice to our land. You are him. When will you do it? You've been with us for 40 days since your resurrection. Is this the time? Jesus now responds in verse 7. He says to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In one glance, it looks like Jesus like totally punts this question, right? He's like, I'm not going to answer that. I'm just going to punt this one over to, Father, over to the Father, and I'll let him answer that at some point. And by the way, we don't know the answer. I almost kicked over the communion. That would have been terrible. <laughs> that would have been awful. Symbolic. Symbolic, yes. <laughs> he tipped over tables, right? Um, he, in some one sense, he looks like he punts, but he doesn't punt. He literally doesn't know the answer. He doesn't give them a yes, but he doesn't give them a no either. Notice what he says. He says, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, we don't know when it is time for the final consummation the final moment in which the kingdom will be complete. We don't know that answer. But if you know anything about Jesus' teaching in the, in the Gospels, he says the kingdom of God is upon you. And then he turns it, and he puts it on them in verse 8. But you... He's looking at his, he's looking at his apostles... The one who just asked him the question, is this the time in which the kingdom is going to be upon us? And he looks at him, he says, but you now will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. 
Look what he does there. He turns it on them. He says, if you want to see the kingdom, you want to see the fulfillment of the kingdom upon you, this is going to be on you. You have a job to do. He first gives them a promise. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You, you will receive power. There, there will be a supernatural ability that will come from beyond you. This will not come from within inside of you. You can't muster this up on your own. You can't possibly create this within yourself. You will receive a unique supernatural ability that comes from outside of you. And it comes from God himself through the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive a power. You're going to receive a, a, a capacity to do what? The kingdom mandate. What is the purpose? To share Jesus, to be his witnesses. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. This is the purpose of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. It's not just an affirmation of the transformational power that occurs when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, but it is also a capacity to be one who fulfills the kingdom of God, the one who shares the kingdom and is a witness for Christ in every area and corner of this world. The context here is when he speaks to his apostles, he literally, the whole framework of Acts is actually found right here in this verse. Because he says, well, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Well, what happens is that the apostles are all in Jerusalem. This is where this, this is taking place in this moment. And then the apostles begin to share Jesus with those inside Jerusalem. And then as persecution increased, they were then forced outside into the countrysides of Judea. And so they began to share the gospel in Judea. And the more people that they shared Jesus with, the more that they shared Jesus. And then they were forced out even farther to the entire uh, you know, nations of like Samaria, to the foreign nations. And then suddenly, now the, the, the gospel is going even beyond Jerusalem and beyond Judea. It's into Samaria, and then finally spreads all the way to the ends of the earth. This is actually why we are believers in Christ today. It's because Jesus, at this moment, before he ascends into heaven, created a worldwide movement. And it started with 11 people on a hillside in Jerusalem, overlooking the temple. And then in verse 9, when he said that, they were looking on, and boom, he was lifted up in a cloud and out of their sight. He was gone. No more instructions. No more commands. Just, Jesus, when is the kingdom going to be fulfilled? And he says, it's on you. But not without my promise. Anyone in here a fiction book reader? Anyone like to read fiction books? I'm not a big fiction book reader, but I'm a big movie watcher. Anyone like movies? I'm a big movie buff, right? Now, some fiction readers, they like to read to the end of the book first to find out like how it ends. Anyone like that? You can like to read to the end. Some of you know not so much. But movies, don't you dare tell me how the movie ends, right? Like, no spoiler alerts, right? I do not want any spoilers of the film, right? I want to watch the movie from the beginning to end. Nobody tell me how it ends, right? Um, in every good story... Every good story, whether it's a fiction book or whether it's a movie, there's three main parts to that story. It, you have a beginning, right? 
kind of begins and tells the story, sets the construct up for it, kind of begins to introduce us to our character, set this main setting. And then the second part of the story is a middle, right? And the middle part is the where we kind of rise into the, the rising action until we get to the climax, the, the part where we're kind of ready to tear our hair out and wondering, are they all going to die, right? And then at the end of the climax is then when we have the resolution, or what we call the denouement. And at the end of, and that's the third part of, the, of story writing and storytelling, is having a clear end. We know that the, the characters are safe, the hero wins at the end of the day, and we, all, the, all the stress and wonders that we, we were encountering are now suddenly resolved, right? So in every good story, there's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end. And here we are, <clears throat> caught up in God's great story of redemption. The entire scriptures is a story of God redeeming his people. We have a clear beginning. We have a clear middle where Christ dies on the cross and is resurrected again so to prove to us that we can have eternal life and salvation in him alone. But what is the end? The end has been clearly defined for us. The apostles, I think, only had a, a bit of a picture of it. The Lord revealed more of it to them as the scriptures were being finished, being authored, especially with John's revelation. But Jesus gave a pretty clear blueprint back in the book of Matthew. They knew how this was going to end. They knew that Jesus would have eternal victory. They knew that actually that we have creation. It was great. It was perfect. There was the fall meaning sin entered the world, the creation was corrupted, and then there's redemption that is found in Jesus Christ, and the final blueprint is total restoration. Jesus making his heaven and his earth all brand new again. They were asking, when would the kingdom be restored? And he says, we don't know but in the meantime, it's on you. They realized now that there was a kingdom mandate, and that was to share Jesus with the world. If you're a follower of Christ in here tonight, you know what it means to have your life to be transformed by Jesus, don't you? To have a life completely transformed. A life that was once broken, sinful, apart from God. You know what it's like to live for yourself and not for the living God who loves you and seeks to restore you. You have experienced a transformed life in Jesus. And a transformed life is a transformational story. One that can speak to, this is who I once was, and because of Christ, this is who I am now today. If you're like me, I know that Jesus transforms. And I know that because Jesus transforms lives, he also can transform other lives, because he has transformed mine. And so if I know that Jesus can transform my life, he can transform the life of my family. Do you believe that Jesus can transform your family? And if he can transform your family, do you believe that Jesus can transform your neighbors? 
see that Jesus can transform my neighbors. And if Jesus can transform my neighbors, I believe that he can even transform my neighborhood. Do you believe that Jesus can transform your neighborhood? And if Jesus can transform your neighborhood, I also believe he can transform other areas of our life, including he can transform the schools. He can transform our teachers and our students. And if Jesus can transform those areas, he can also transform my workplace. Because Jesus is in the business of transforming lives. And lives are wherever we find living people. And if Jesus can transform my neighborhood, if he can transform my school, if he can transform my workplace, he can transform my community. Do you believe that Jesus can transform Woodstock? And if Jesus can transform Woodstock, he's transforming societies. Because I believe he can transform McHenry County. Do you believe Jesus can transform McHenry County? Mm -hmm. And if he can transform Woodstock and he can transform McHenry County, I believe he can transform the Chicago area. And I can believe that Jesus can transform the world. And as a matter of fact, Jesus has been doing this already in our midst. He's been doing this for 2,000 years because it started with 11 people on a hillside where they were begging Jesus, is this the time the kingdom will be restored? Is this the time where eternal peace and justice will finally be made? Is this the time where you'll lead us into victory and we'll live for eternity? You're the Messiah. He says the job's not done yet. And now we have a worldwide movement of billions of followers of Jesus Christ, and there are still billions left to be reached. It started with 11 men on a hillside. Jesus can transform. And notice, he says, this is really for everyone. The kingdom mandate is to share Jesus with the world. He doesn't look at a couple of his apostles, and he doesn't say, um, hey, by the way, uh, Peter and John, uh, you two go share the Jesus and share be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and everywhere else. And by the way, this is Paul guy. That, you know, his name is Saul. You're, you're going to meet him a little later in a few more chapters here. But, you know, you guys go and share. The rest of you just sit this one out. And he says, you, all of you, because you have something inside of you or you will be given something. And it's called the Holy Spirit. You'll be given power for that. And it's a supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And this is for everyone. It doesn't require particular spiritual maturity. You can be a brand new Christian, even tonight. And you can share Jesus with the world. It doesn't require a particular age. My daughter, which I'm not totally convinced if she's been completely restored or redeemed by Christ yet, but she was already sharing Jesus with our neighbor. The other girl. She was at the park and she was just talking to her about, like, do you know Jesus? You go, girl. Sometimes children can be far more bold than we can. Does it require a certain age? Does it require a particular, uh, you know, uh, this is not up for Pastor Mitch or the leaders of the church. This is our collective mandate to share Jesus with the world, and here's the rub. What will it require of me? It might just require everything. Because following Jesus requires everything. To lay down our lives for him. 
to living a life according to his will in his ways. Because he transforms us into his image and not our own. I was having a um, doctor uh, appoint, a follow-up with a doctor a couple weeks ago. And um, this uh, doctor of mine, I had gone in just before Christmas. It was probably one of her last appointments before the Christmas break. And uh, we got into a conversation. Uh, she's Hindu and uh, loosely practicing. And uh, she was, we were talking about just Christianity and Hinduism, just kind of the differences between the two. It was a real cordial conversation. Uh, it came up because she was making small talk and asked what I did for a living. And I was like, well, I'm a pastor. And so now she had all these questions for me. And um, it was a great conversation, very cordial, very respectful. And so I came back in for this follow-up appointment. Now it's probably like, you know, eight, ten weeks later. And um, she sees hundreds of patients. And so I'm back in her office. And this literally was the day after, the morning after the school shooting in Florida. And I'm in her office. And I knew this appointment was going to be literally two minutes long. And sure enough, she walks in, the nurse walks in. It's two minutes. It's done and over with. The nurse walks out, and the doctor's there left with me. And she turns to me, and she goes, for someone in your profession, I have to ask you, what do you say in light of the news from yesterday? What I just left out of the story is actually literally about a minute before she walked in the door, I kind of like threw up one of these like, you know, softball prayers like, Lord, I know this mean, this, this, this appointment is going to be so short. If there's a way for a chance for me just to share you, Jesus, with her, uh, that would be amazing. Just be careful what you what you pray for, because literally she's now asking me what it is that I believe or want you know would say about this school shooting. She's concerned. She shared with me about her concerns and her fears. Her kids were, were in school that very day, unsure if she even should send them. The world is crying out. The world is asking. I I, I love the fact that she remembered who I was and the fact that even what I had done and. Uh, for a living, and even just our conversation from before, I had an opportunity to share the gospel with her. I shared Jesus with her. We hold the keys to the kingdom of heaven. It's been given to us as believers. It's been given to us as the church. We choose how and when in which someone would come and receive the kingdom and to be part of the, the covenantal faith that is found in Jesus Christ. We have the keys to the kingdom, and how dare we hold on to them and keep them in our pocket and not share where the door is. We have the answer. I don't think she was ready to give her life over to Jesus, but she asked a strikingly interesting uh, question to me. When I get done sharing the gospel with her, she looks at me and she says, how do you intend to get your message to 7.6 billion people on this earth. What I love about that question is that she looked at me thinking probably to herself, there may be something to this. There may be something to this. And secondly, if it's true that people can be transformed by Jesus Christ and that that's the real answer, then how do you intend to resolve that and get that into the hearts and minds of 7.6 billion people on this planet? 
my answer to her was this. It's by doing what I'm doing now, and that is starting a new church. It's by sharing Jesus with the world. You see, as a new church plant here at Good News, you get to be part of this exciting endeavor of the kingdom mandate. Jesus is the answer. Jesus transforms. And you get to be part of the initial group of people and get to join in with whatever else that God is doing here amongst other gospel-preaching churches in Woodstock to be part of transforming this community. Because there are 7.6 billion people left to be reached in this world. And Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. So often, many of us Christians aren't even asking the question, how will we get our message to 7.6 billion people? Because usually we're stuck at home asking the question, or stuck in our churches, asking Jesus the same question the apostles asked. When will you restore your kingdom? It's a fair question. It's an honest question. But we forget to read on. It says, we don't know, but you will be my witnesses. Our calling is to fulfill our kingdom mandate, and that is to share Jesus with the world. And it comes with the promise of his Holy Spirit. Just in our final minutes here, um, here's your challenge. Here's our challenge together as the church. The first is this. One, we need to repent. We need to repent of our lack of faith. We need to repent of our fear that cripples us. It causes us from even taking action. And we need to repent of our flat-out disobedience. How often do we just embrace Christ for ourselves and choose not to reach across the aisle or to talk to the neighbor? We need to repent of it. And then number two, we need to pray. We need to pray. We've got to ask, Lord, where is it that I shall fulfill my kingdom mandate? Where would you send me? Who would you have me speak to? How would you use Good News Church for your greater purpose. We're asking this very question too in our team. How would you use Restoration Church in Lake Zurich? There's a lot of people between Woodstock and Lake Zurich that don't know Jesus. And when we pray, we can lean into the promise that he gives us and that is his Holy Spirit will be with us in present in us. And finally, number three, we need to engage. We gotta repent, we gotta pray, and we gotta engage. We gotta get after it. We can't hold back. We gotta embrace the fact that Jesus is going to supernaturally empower us for the task. Repent, pray, and engage. Your kingdom mandate. Share Jesus with the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you for tonight's challenge. We thank you for the reminder that we are not alone. We thank you for the reminder that it is you, Christ, that redeems us and not ourselves. Lord, I want to pray for the families that are broken, the families that are hurting, those who have lost loved ones in a senseless school shooting, those who are the neighbors and the friends and the family members that are broken and hurting tonight, Lord, in their homes. I pray, Father God, for those across the world, Lord, just engulfed in the middle of wars and, and, and sin and brokenness, Father. The creation is corrupted, and you know it. You see it all. For you are the one who counts every hair on our head. You, there's nothing that gets past you. And yet you have given us a task as the church to be a witness for you, Jesus. May we fulfill that mandate. May we go out into the world. May we have the boldness of faith, Lord, to share you, Jesus. Would you remind us of the testimonies that we have, Lord, the transformation in which we have occurred. And for those of us who maybe don't have that story, would you give us one? Would you begin the process, even tonight, of restoring our hearts, transforming us into new people, making us new again? and whole again. And we pray, Father, for your glory and your presence and our lands to be healed by your grace alone and by faith alone in you, Jesus Christ alone. In your name we pray. Amen.